you're listening to the Dietitian Cafe brought to you by New Ultra, where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. My name's Harriet Smith, and I'm a registered dietitian and founder of HRS Communications. Personalized nutrition is a controversial topic, but experts argue that the science is indeed there. To coincide with DNA Day on the 26th of April, in today's episode, we're talking to personalized nutrition expert and registered dietitian, Rachel Clarkson. We'll be talking about what personalized nutrition is, the evidence underpinning the concept, and we'll explore how personalized nutrition works in clinical practice. So Rachel, I'm going to hand over to you now to tell us a bit more about yourself. Hi, Harriet. Thanks so much for having me. I would just like to say thank you so much for bringing up the area of personalized nutrition as it is the now, not the future. Um, So just to introduce myself, I'm a specialist dietitian in the science of nutrigenomics best known as the DNA dietitian. And I'm based in Harley Street in London, but now have an online clinic where my aim is basically just to empower my patients to eat according to their genes using my method, eating the DNA way. And my research from King's College London was published in a peer-reviewed journal in epigenetics. So I have that background in genetics, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that later on. Um, and I also sit on the scientific advisory board of a few health apps too, just really advising in the area of personalized nutrition. Great. Thank you, Rachel. We're delighted to have you here today. I know it's a hot topic that our listeners will want us to delve into in more detail. So today, Rachel and I are going to be chatting about her personal experiences as a dietitian working in the area of personalized nutrition and what her clinical practice currently involves. And we're also going to tackle the controversies surrounding this area and discuss whether personalized nutrition is indeed the present and the future of dietetics. Before we delve into our topics of discussion, uh, many of you will be familiar with with our quick fire round of questions so that we can get to know Rachel on a more personal level. So Rachel, I think the first question is very appropriate because I know you've just come back from a lovely holiday. So tell us about your most recent holiday. Yes. So I just got back from skiing, which was just an amazing trip. I just love being on the slopes. I find that skiing is just so, it's like meditation, right? Um, You're just, you know, just having the best time in the most amazing presence of nature. So I was just got back from Courcheval. So there was a lot of snow and a lot of great food. <laughs> yeah, I can certainly imagine the great food, fondues, raclette. So that leads us onto our next question, which is tell me about your favorite cuisine. Is it indeed French food or perhaps a different part of the world? My favorite cuisine has to be Mexican food. There's just something about the flavors in oh, Mexican food that just it just transports you to a hotter, brighter place. It just yeah, it's just full of memories. So um, and it usually comes with tequila. So <laughs> I'm a big fan. <laughs> An added bonus, definitely. And then finally, Rachel, tell us about your proudest professional moment in your career to date. Oh, um, I would say being a guest lecturer at St. Mary's University in London in the genetics and nutrition masters. So I teach in the clinical application of personalized nutrition, specifically nutrigenomics. Yeah, that's probably my proudest moment. It's one of those pinch me moments, to be honest. Brilliant. Well, congratulations with that new role. I'm sure you'll tell us a bit more about that later in the episode. 
So let's begin by um, delving into this topic of personalized nutrition. Can you begin by perhaps defining these terms, personalized nutrition and nutrigenomics that we so often hear about? What do they actually mean? Personalized nutrition, it's, it's basically a fast growing area of the wellness industry, as you probably well know, but it actually isn't just about testing. It's really around so many different areas, such as wearables, trackers, the health apps that we're seeing, and the tests, of course, that can basically personalize diet and lifestyle. So when we're thinking about specifically personalizing dietary advice, we've all, as a profession in dietetics, we've been actually personalizing for years based on biomarkers and preferences. Um, and now, you know, the microbiome and genetic testing is also becoming very popular too. And, you know, these all have benefits and limitations, but I believe that they're all actually interrelated. So our genes are actually influencing our preferences, our biomarkers and microbiome. Um, so genetics is really the one area that truly has the most robust evidence when it comes to creating personalized recommendations. And you know, your point on defining nutrigenomics, it sometimes is called nutritional genomics. Um, it's basically an umbrella term for the area of nutrition, basically looking at how our genes and our diet impact each other. Um, and the microbiome, this is something that's obviously a hot topic at the moment and a really exciting area. I just think we're 15 years behind in terms of understanding how we can personalize our diet here, there isn't any solid evidence at the moment currently that's going to demonstrate that having a particular microbial profile means that this is the type of diet to follow. And really, when you do change your diet, we know that the microbiome also changes. And then what do you have to do? Go back and retest. And, you know, that's super expensive and sometimes not particularly viable. Um, whereas DNA testing, you only have to do that once if it's done correctly. So based on the science, genetics is the only one that's been able to identify differences in the response to things like, you know, caffeine and salt, just to name a few. So the interest in this field is really around trying to identify the specific versions of genes or what we call genotypes that can really help us predict if a nutritional intervention is going to increase a health outcome, have no effect or have the opposite effect. So by no means we're trying to identify um, disease risk. We're not trying to do that. We're trying to understand how someone's going to respond to a dietary intervention. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And I'll, I look forward to discussing perhaps a few case studies later in the episode of how you've applied that in clinical practice as a dietitian. Um, just before we move on to that, can you tell us a bit more about the clinical evidence that underpins this concept of personalized DNA nutrition? Because uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening may not be particularly familiar with this area. So as an evidence-based profession, tell us where the evidence is currently at for this area. So genetics is central to the science of nutrigenomics, and that's why the genetic testing of what we call modifier genes can be used to determine and understand why people are responding differently to the same foods, beverages, and supplements they do consume based on genotype. So when we're thinking about how the genes can impact our response to nutrients, genetics can basically affect our sensory perception, our smell, our taste, our appetite, 
And then those things actually influence what we choose to consume. And then once we consume that, it's our genes that are affecting the absorption and metabolism that ultimately impacts the amount that our body or cells are exposed to. So once we identify if the patient has a specific variant of a modifier gene that we're interested in, we can better understand their nutritional requirements. So for example, do they have an increased nutrient requirement based on the fact that they have a predisposition to a deficiency based on an issue with absorption or metabolism? Or do they need to limit their salt intake, for example, to less than the six grams a day daily based on them being at risk of sodium-sensitive hypertension based on a gene called the ACE gene? Or maybe they're wanting to reduce their risk of cardiovascular disease and we can help them understand their caffeine requirements based on their CYP1A2 gene. So these recommendations, they're based on clinical utility studies, which show a desirable outcome based on a nutritional intervention for a specific genotype. That's really interesting, Rachel. And on that note, I wonder if you could tell us a bit more about the um, Nutrigenomic Literature Review that you were involved with at the University of Toronto, Rachel. Can you tell us a bit more about what topics you delved into in that review paper? So they basically published a literature review showing how nutrigenomics can be used to enhance fertility in males. And I contributed to the female paper that's soon to be published. So we were basically looking at the key nutrients that are involved in fertility and how nutrigenomics can enhance fertility in terms of looking at specific genotypes that alter the metabolism of these key nutrients. How have you applied applied the findings to your own clinical practice? Can you perhaps give us an example, Rachel? So I think this is an interesting one because usually people or the public, let's say, think that fertility chances can be enhanced only by the female. And it's you know, very much known within our dietetic practice that it's actually both females and males health and diet that it actually impacts ability to conceive. So I would say that the evidence that we've got around this and especially the literature review, it's a really nice piece to actually share with clients who are almost skeptical about the fact that the male partner also needs to be thinking about their health and their diet. Absolutely. It takes two to tango, as they say. Um, (laughs) So, Rachel, talk me through the timeline of personalized nutrition. When did this concept first evolve and how has it progressed since that um, moment of inception? Well, I did just mention the fact that personalized nutrition has been around for years, but especially in dietetic practice, because you know, there is dietitians every single day who are lowering the protein intake of patients with PKU and reducing dairy in the diet with those people who are suffering with lactose intolerance. So it's not a new concept. Um, but when you look at the body of evidence that actually links any nutritional factor to a health outcome, you do see this heterogeneity in results. And about 15 years ago, the Human Genome Project, it really allowed scientists to use genetics to understand these outliers. And it is important to acknowledge these outliers and their unique recommendations because dietary advice that doesn't identify what their unique requirements are can actually be detrimental to them. So let's take the CYP1A2 gene that actually 
highlight someone's ability to metabolize caffeine. If we're moving forward with the general dietary recommendations around having less than 400 milligrams of caffeine a day, which is the safe limit, we are ignoring 50% of the population who have a variation of this gene that actually means that they're slow metabolizers of caffeine and them consuming more than 200 milligrams of caffeine a day is actually doubling their risk of a heart attack. And this is really where we have to take personalized nutrition seriously because it is one of those things that I think is a it's a gray area for dietitians because we're not really sure um, because we don't necessarily have the insights around it. So we kind of brush it off like, you know, it's just a dubious uh, side project of the wellness industry. But really, it's one of those things that we cannot ignore. And it's been around for years now. And we can talk about, I guess, the controversies around it in a, in a little while, but it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. And yeah, I could literally talk about it forever. <laughs> sure. I'm, I'm sure you can. We will come onto the controversies in a moment. Just before we do, um, I think people listening will be really curious to hear about your own experience into personalized nutrition. What led to you taking this career pathway after graduating as a dietitian? Because it will be quite a new concept to a lot of dietitians listening today. So tell us a bit more about what attracted you to personalized nutrition in your own clinical practice. It was actually the BDA conference that I went to when I was actually working in the NHS. And I listened to Maria Abraham's talk all around personalized nutrition and the way that we can use it in clinical practice. And it was then that I just thought, wow, you know, this is really an area of nutrition that's actually happening. And there's a dietitian right in front of me speaking about the opportunities. So I spoke to Maria after her talk and we had a little chat around you know, where things were going. And she actually said, you know, if you're interested in this, join me uh, in San Francisco, where I'm going to be um, speaking at the um, sort of international conference in personalized nutrition. So I actually took my uh, sort of time off work and went to San Francisco to join her. And it was there that I met some of the leading researchers in the field. And I just had a bit of a aha moment when the room was just full of either scientists, tech investors, or founders. And there were no clinicians, there were no nutritionists, there were no dietitians in the room. And I just thought, hang on a minute, we're the experts within nutrition. We need to be the leaders in this field and not allow, you know, the tech industry to be um, moving forward without the collaboration of us. So yeah, I basically left San Francisco and started my own practice and really embodied this specialism. So that's kind of the story. Yeah. And I've, I've known you for a number of years, Rachel, and it's been really fascinating following your progress. Um, so you are the founder of DNA Dietitian, which is what you're best known as on social media. So can you tell us more about how you apply personalized DNA nutrition in your clinical practice? Perhaps let's begin with talking about the kinds of patients that you typically see. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, the interesting thing is, is that you can use DNA testing when done correctly as part of our ABCDE assessment. And that's really where I use it, of course, when it comes to identifying that piece of the puzzle that enables my clients to be able to receive truly personalized results. So people are coming to me and my little team now, whether it be to reduce cardiometabolic issues, to lose weight, to engage in better digestion. Again, we'll probably talk later about, you know, limitations or um, like, you know, patients who don't necessarily need this. Um, And also that's a conversation to be having with these clients, you know, who are coming to me. I say to them, you don't necessarily need this with what you're actually trying to achieve. It's only those clients who I think would actually benefit that we have the conversation around the DNA testing. But it's by no means something that, you know, you have to have because you come to see me. Most people are coming to me for that. So let's talk about this DNA testing in a bit more detail. What exactly does it entail? For example, do you take a blood test? Is it a saliva sample? How long do the results take to come back? Where do you send the results to? Can you tell us a bit more? So it's actually very simple. You basically just ask the patient to spit in a tube and the saliva is basically stabilized with a solution that you just mix with it. So it's much more stable than blood and actually it's less invasive as well. And do we do the testing here in the UK or do you have to send it off to another country to be analysed? I actually send it to the University of Toronto because I'm sort of affiliated with their testing company and I just feel like their practice and the genes that they test for are scientifically validated and there are so many laboratories and testing companies that are not. And I don't think that I would ever um, trust in um, a company that wasn't affiliated with a university. Thank you. So that leads me on to my question to you about controversies then. So we know that if you go onto Google, go onto the internet, there's lots of um, really compelling adverts for personalized nutrition testing, for example. So why do you think that DNA nutrition has become or is a controversial topic? So it is a controversial topic. And even I am very skeptical about I would say the majority of the industry. And I think that the main reason for this controversy is really around the number of different testing companies in this area. And they're selling so many different tests, epigenetic tests, nutrigenomic tests, microbiome tests. And to be honest, the majority really do not have any robust evidence behind them. And it's basically an unregulated area, which is really scary. And this means that these testing companies are really testing so many genes that do not have scientific validation behind them and also giving dietary and lifestyle recommendations that, again, have no clinical utility studies to sort of back up their claims. And unfortunately, this is putting financial gain in front of scientific rigor. And that's why the industry is being seen as a dodgy one. And, you know, just personally, I've been um, in situations where I've actually had to leave scientific advisory boards because, you know, I'm sat on these boards to advise 
around scientific rigor and practice that is, you know, safe for the consumer. And unfortunately, I'm sort of told to, shh, shh, you know, uh, <laughs> and so it's a very uh, scary thought to think that, you know, the consumer is being led by these big marketing claims of these companies that have huge budgets. Um, so unfortunately, they're the ones who are getting in front of the consumer. And, you know, I'm very passionate about speaking to industry as well. So last year, I spoke at the Nutrition X conference, which is an international conference for industry. And I spoke about the importance of collaboration with healthcare professionals when it comes to just thinking about the safety of the consumer and also just engaging in the best practice. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those areas that as professionals in the healthcare industry, we don't want to shy away from because if we aren't the leaders or at least the collaborators, then it's just downhill from here. Absolutely. That collaborative approach is so important in many aspects of dietetics. Now, tell me a bit more about the key challenges that you've come across in your practice. And in particular, I'm interested about how your media presence, I know you featured in publications like Women's Health, for example, how that's helped to address these challenges on more of a public platform. Yes, I would say that the challenges are actually coming up in terms of people contacting us because they want support with DNA results that they've actually been provided by these testing companies that are very well known. And a lot of the time they don't understand the results. They don't understand the dietary recommendations and they just want a practitioner to explain them to them. And what we have to do is almost correct this bad practice in terms of what the consumer is actually being led to believe. So, I mean, numerous times I've had people come to me who, when we take their diet history, they are eating so much saturated fat containing foods and you know i'll i'll ask why and they'll say oh well my genetic test told me that um i wasn't a hyper absorber of saturated fat and yes whilst that is true they fail to communicate the fact that whilst they aren't a hyper absorber of saturated fat we still need to be thinking about reducing foods that are high in saturated fat in the diet and we can't just see them as sort of you know foods that we can just eat in unlimited amounts so that's definitely a challenge to almost correct this sort of bad practice when it comes to communicating the uh, the results and we know from the literature that genetic dietary advice or dietary advice based on genetics is only really effective when it is communicated by a trained healthcare professional in the area. There is no point presenting people with genetic data about themselves. It's just not going to lead to the behavior change that we desire in a patient. And that also sort of leads me to the motivation factor. And I think that motivation is something that, you know, an individual really needs for adherence. And we know that genetic based dietary advice has also been led 
uh, has also been shown to actually lead to more motivation, greater adherence, and also enhanced uh, health outcomes in terms of reduced salt intake and reduced fat loss over a long period of time when compared to just that general gold standard dietary advice. So I think that the challenges arising are um, in terms of what's going on with the industry in terms of these um, sort of apps or testing companies, but also in terms of um, the motivation factor that we want people to engage more in when it comes to them actually um, adhering to things long-term. And I think if I'm very honest, I would say that a big challenge for me over the past few years has also been around um, feeling accepted by my peers in terms of dietitians. So this is a very outside of the box area. And I think that that has been a challenge for me as well, because all I'm trying to do is educate other practitioners and educate the public into the safe practices around personalized nutrition. And I think that's why one of my proudest moments was probably the fact that I am guest lecturing to these nutrition and genetics master's students in the clinical application of this, because there's a really incredible opportunity to engage people with better motivation and actually get them better health, better health outcomes. And that's the aim of the game, right? Definitely as dietitians. And I think a lot of people listening to this will be thinking, well, how can I apply a more personalized approach in my clinical practice? Um, so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or suggestions on that, Rachel. For example, do practitioners have to go and do additional training to practice in this area or are there simple things that they could be using in their day-to-day practice to offer a more personalized DNA approach? I think that it's very important to understand that this methodology of personalized nutrition, it should be used by registered dietitians or, you know, registered nutritionists as well, um, in terms of getting people better results. It's one of those things, though, that you can't just do blindly. You have to have an understanding and um, you've got to have done the CPD in this area because otherwise you're not going to be trained in order to understand, you know, what this even means in terms of science and how can you communicate this with a client if you truly don't understand it yourself. So I think that upskilling in the area is something that I would highly recommend to people. And, you know, I think we'll probably link it in the show notes. Um, I have a, a really great resource that people can sort of turn to in terms of understanding the basics, the basics of genetics and nutrigenomics, you know, the difference between epigenetics and nutrigenomics, the different types of genetic tests, how to actually navigate through this area, this unregulated field, like I said. And I think that would probably be the, 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 the next step if someone was to want to think about this area to really understand the science on a surface level and then if people want to take things deeper then um, they can do and you know I do offer CBD we have a six-month um, training um, that really helps someone 
understand how to upskill in the area so they can be absolutely practicing within the NHS or in clinical practice uh, alongside this training, which really allows for not just uh, understanding of the science, but also really coming out with the practical elements to be able to actually have that conversation with a patient around their genetic results and pulling out those actionable steps, which are really key and really factoring that into um, smart goals and sort of long-term health behavior as well. So yeah, it's definitely not one of those things that should be seen as a scary um, stepping stone. It's one of those, I believe, natural progressions that we all have to really think about taking. Because if we're not going to be the leaders in this field, then like I said, the industry um, and this unregulated area um, will be. And then, you know, the uh, the public's health is at risk. Yeah, the, the unregulated world would take over like we've seen in so many other areas of, of nutrition in the past. In terms of uh, the future of personalized nutrition, what do you think um, what do you think the future looks like in, say, five or 10 years time, Rachel, for dietitians working in this area? Hopefully everyone will be able to at least have a conversation with a client around personalized nutrition or DNA results, for example, even if someone isn't upskilling in this area, they should still be able to discuss with a patient when they come in and say, oh, I've had these, you know, genetic results, or I'm thinking about, you know, these um, companies, what do you think? Like, we should be able to have these conversations and talk about the limitations and the benefits of testing. Um, So that's what I would definitely hope for us as a practice. And When it comes to the future of the field, I would say that we are now combining different genetic markers to have a greater predictive power, which I think is really exciting. And also the collaboration, as I discussed before, is a really important part of this field. And I'm also hoping for more integration of services to make eating healthy and eating according to you know, people's genes much easier. So thinking about the integration of services. And in terms of the upcoming professions, student dietitians and nutritionists, for example, are you seeing that universities are recognizing the power of personalized nutrition within their curriculum? Of course, the the guest lecturing that you mentioned earlier at St. Mary's sounds like a great step in the right direction. Do you think other universities will be following suit? Is it currently something that's part of the dietetic curriculum? Do you know? I know that there are a few lectures that are given within the curriculum at certain universities, but right now we've got only around three master's degrees in nutrition and genetics worldwide. Um, You know, and St. Mary's is one of them. I think that hopefully more universities will acknowledge the area. Um, But again, it's one of those things that I don't want people to think that they have to leave, you know, their undergraduate or their master's in nutrition and dietetics and feel like they have to do another master's to be able to practice in this area. That isn't the case. Like I said, um, you can do further CPD in the area. There are 
um, a number of CPD options. Um, like I said, mine is currently the only one that I believe had, that has the, the practical element and the workshops that allow for someone to truly um, understand how to um, effectively give nutritional advice based on DNA uh, insights. So that sort of practical communication element that I believe I've developed over the last few years and is the missing piece of the puzzle, let's say, when it comes to engaging the client. Brilliant. And I'm sure if any lecturers are listening, Rachel, would you be happy for them to get in touch with you to find out a bit more about this area and your approach to lecturing? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's all about CPD for us as a profession. And, you know, the Association of Nutrition, I've already spoken at one of their regional meetings. Um, So I've been more than happy. I love sharing my experience and also the science and the scientific rigor as well. Brilliant. So as we come to the end of the episode, Rachel, I am really keen to ask you, do you use a personalized nutrition approach in your day-to-day eating? Have you had your genes tested, for example? Can you tell us a bit more about that? For sure I have, Harriet. Of course, I had my genes tested quite a few number of years ago and I've been eating the DNA way ever since. So I can be really conscious of my day-to-day intake of certain nutrients. Um, I've pulled back on most of my supplements and I can absolutely get my sort of requirements through real food as you know we should be um but there are some areas that i do need to supplement in and one thing that i was finding a lot of was the fact that i was always quite low in b12 even though i was having you know animal products maybe twice a day um and when i looked into my genes i was able to understand that actually i had a predisposition for low levels of b12 based on my inability to absorb and transport B12 from cell to cell. So now I make a conscious effort of um, thinking about how many animal products I have in the day or using my B12 spray. Um, In terms of my cardiovascular health, I do have heart disease in the family. And I've really been able to understand my caffeine requirements, which I think I've spoken about uh, previously. So I've reduced my caffeine intake and also really thought about my salt intake as well, which, like I mentioned before, um, is something that we can identify as well in terms of um, genetic variation. And then I would say that in terms of me managing my weight, I think that the insights around um, the weight management has been almost life-changing for me in terms of um, me being able to think about the portions of certain macronutrients on my plate, which allows for that flexibility. Um, so that's been exciting for me, as has understanding my exercise requirements. So again, in clinical practice, I definitely you know, don't pretend to be a personal trainer or an expert in exercise but we know that we have to engage people in healthy lifestyle choices. And I found out that I actually have an enhanced response to greater levels of physical activity based on the fact that I actually mobilize fat and transport fat um, really efficiently when I work out. So I've now actually been able to motivate myself to increase my physical activity levels based on this gene. And that's been really game-changing for me in terms of me 
just seeing much better results in body composition. So I love that gene. That's really fascinating. And I'm sure you've seen some really interesting um, transitions with your own patients, Rachel. Have you got any examples you can perhaps share with us about patients you've worked with and how your personalized approach has helped them to see benefits in their own health? I mean, this is obviously anecdotal, but it's the most rewarding thing in the world when people have come to you from all walks of life really sharing their dismay around the fact that no diet has ever worked for them. And then when they understand themselves at a deeper level, like I said, they're more motivated to make a change. They adhere to the dietary advice and they see greater results. It's an incredible feeling. Um, and I think the nice thing is, is even when people are coming to you for weight management, um, to be able to provide them with insights around optimizing nutrient levels for energy and optimizing their cardiometabolic panel um, that, you know, we also do test, they see greater health results as well. And so being able to provide someone with a panel of insights about their genetics that go beyond just how are they going to best respond to weight loss? That's really powerful. So I really love that side of things. And in terms of patient success I think that it's just so nice when you follow up with them six 12 months later and they're still eating the DNA way it's it's really nice so I I guess my message that I've taken away from you today is that we're very much shifting away from this one size fits all approach that's been so embedded in kind of public health guidelines for so long. And it, it sounds really encouraging um, the, the future of personalized nutrition. I wanted to ask you, um, as we come to the end of the episode, what would you say to a critic, perhaps listening, who just believes that personalized nutrition is not the way forward? What would you say to them, Rachel? I would say that there are a few reasons why someone might be critical of this science. And I think that there are a lot of people out there speaking around the fact that single genes um, and testing single genes isn't useful, specifically a lot of genetic epidemiologists um, who are saying this. And actually what, what we're trying to do is not link specific genes to specific diseases like they are. We're trying to test modifier genes that modify response to diet. So offering actionable recommendations around this to improve health, you know, it's a given that this is a, a great, a great area. Um, we've also got people saying, you know, well, there's not enough randomized controlled trials and you know, randomized controlled trials, they're very useful when it comes to developing drugs and vaccines. But when it comes to nutritional science, we know that it's more around the totality of evidence to really make recommendations. I mean, really thinking about, we do have a lot of randomized controlled trials in the field of nutrigenomics, but we're using that totality of evidence um, as the gold standard in actually nutritional recommendations. And then I think I touched on before around the fact that people say, well, genetic uh, data is too complex. Well, yeah, it is complex if it's raw genetic data that you're giving to someone. But if you have the level of knowledge to be able to communicate in a really articulate but simple fashion, you'll be able to, like I said, engage that client in a better understanding of themselves and then their you know, dietary requirements. Um, and I think 
most people, they just say, well, you know, we can all just follow healthy recommendations uh, based on, you know, general dietary recommendations. Um, but like I said, these can actually be harmful recommendations to certain outliers, um, you know, that best example being caffeine, um, you know, caffeinated beverages um, over a certain level for these slow metabolizers, like I said, um, can be really detrimental to not just increasing risk of heart disease, but also high blood pressure, pre-diabetes and um, issues with kidneys. So, yeah, I think that there's an amazing paper um, around recent break, breakthroughs and controversies in this area. So again, if anyone wants to um, contact, team, contact me maybe on Instagram um, and just send me a little DM, I'd be more than happy to share that paper with them as well. Thank you, Rachel. So in summary, to wrap things up, what would your final takeaway message be from today's podcast episode? I would love for anyone listening to this podcast to be excited about this field and to be interested and want to learn more because that's how we grow as a profession. And we can't just, you know, turn a blind eye to this. It is the now, it's not the future. We need to be the leaders in this field. We need to upskill. We need to be able to have these conversations with our patients if they bring it up, for example. Um, so yeah, be aware of the evidence that's out there and be able to understand the different tests that are out there. And, uh, you know, in doing so, you'll be able to uh, have these conversations with patients and hopefully also be able to have conversations with patients around their personalized dietary recommendations and you'll get better results in your practice. So like I said, I have these resources. Um, we'll probably link them in the show notes. And then if you have any um, questions, you can also reach out to me on Instagram as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for your time today and for sharing your valuable knowledge and experience with us. We will indeed link to the resources that Rachel's mentioned in the show notes, as well as her social media handles and website. A huge thank you to New Outra for making the podcast possible. If you do enjoy listening to the Dietitian Cafe podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a review or five-star rating so that we can reach even more healthcare professionals. You can follow New Outra on social media at New Outra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you for listening and our next episode will be out soon. Bye.